0: Welcome everybody, it's Phil Russo here. This is the... uh, Let's start again. (laughs) I like that intro. I like that intro, yeah. It's one of your best, I think. (laughs) We'll leave it at that then. Welcome everybody. This is Phil Russo speaking here, and I'm joined by Martin Keenan, who's wearing a special party hat, and uh, 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 Brett Mitchell, who's got his party tassels on. It's a special occasion tonight, chaps, isn't it? It is the hundredth podcast of Infection Control Matters. So welcome everybody. It's going no, to oh, be a bit of a light. It's going to be a bit of a hearted chat. Uh, but yes. first of all, I'm going to throw to Brett, who's got a yes. special announcement to make.
1: Well, thanks, Phil. And um, you know, in in light of our hundredth episode, we've been working on something, and um, I'm really pleased to announce—insert drum roll here, Martin. When you edit this, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, I'm pleased to announce that uh, we have a website: infectioncontrolmatters.com. Now, you might be thinking that's not much excitement, but it is a bit of excitement, I think, because this website will enable you to do a few things that perhaps we never envisaged we'd have to do when we started off this podcast. So we've yeah, we got, thought we'd um, just be
2: talking to ourselves, you see, that's the problem. We, uh, we've now got lots of downloads. So
1: Now we've got lots yeah. of downloads, lots of people um, listening, and we thought we'd better make it a little bit easier for people. And uh, the idea of the website is to do that. So you could go on to infectioncontrolmatters.com and you can subscribe. And when you subscribe there, you'll get an email alert, which you can click on when a new podcast is released. But probably better than that, there's the opportunity to look at a lot of different podcasts. And now that we have 100 in the bag, um, you can look at the different podcasts by different topic areas. So if you're interested in workforce-related podcasts or cleaning-related podcasts or contact precautions, et cetera, you can search by the topic and you can find all the related podcasts for that topic. So I think that's hopefully going to be helpful for people.
2: I think, I think one thing is highlighted, interestingly, is the things that we haven't covered or not covered very much. Mm. So if you go looking for podcasts we've done on hand hygiene,
1: which... You won't find you know, many.
2: <laughs> no, there's one early on with Didier. Uh, and that's it. We haven't covered yeah. technique, motivation, auditing. We haven't covered really hand hygiene at all in any depth. We've mentioned it. I mean, contact precautions and transmission-based precautions and, you know, glove and no glove, but we haven't really had a really good chat about uh, hand hygiene. So that no. <laughs> you sort of see the gaps, don't you?
1: You do see the gaps. The other thing I noticed in our last podcast that went out, which was on Cedar for Seal, and I, and I was putting on that podcast onto the website and I thought, what category is this going to go into? And um, I realised we didn't actually have a category on MROs or C-difficile. Um, now, we've covered MROs in some things like transmission-based precautions, but they've been more uh, they've been more concentrated in discussions around transmission-based precautions rather than specific um, MROs. So there's another one that we haven't really done too much on, but I think we probably should. Um, and there's plenty others. And there's plenty we have we've got.
0: Lots on too. So, Brett, uh, is there um, is there anywhere that to people make can make suggestions for a podcast topic? They can On the website. I think
1: now. I think I've got the comment function open. If it hasn't, I will put it open um, so that you can make those suggestions. Actually, there is a contact us function on the website, and you can uh, submit your feedback to us via that route. I don't think we've got the open comments available just because it's another thing to moderate. And um, well, we might review that. But, um, yeah, you can easily send us through your comments via the website and ideas. There's some things we've really explored quite a bit. Um, You know, the workforce and professional-related topics, we've actually done quite a few on those. And we've done a lot on contact and transmission-based precautions.
2: Um, And so... Pneumonias being an interest, I think... Is boiling pneumonia. Interest. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, I think um, in the context of think we've done five. So it's not as high as some of the others. Um, so um, surgical site infections is a similar sort of number, for example. But yeah, I think we've air and aerosols. We've um, we've done actually quite a few, and I think that's about six or seven.
2: How, why uh, uh, will we here on that topic? I wonder. <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> I wonder <laughs> why.
0: Because
2: if you went back so, to ideas, we wouldn't have been talking about air at all. No,
0: mm. no. We're just a reflection of what's happening in society, really, aren't we? Mm.
1: Yeah, <laughs> maybe. Yeah, something or <laughs> like our that.
0: preferences. So,
1: so yeah. Look, I think please do send us through your ideas and uh, and topics. I think the other, you know, the other thing I was just reflecting on, Martin, the other day we were talking about. Oh, actually, before I get to that, the other interesting thing that I noticed when we worked out our hundred odd episodes is how many different speakers we've had on. Uh, And we're really grateful to our guests. We've had, I think, 110 last count guests on our um, podcast. That's guests that's excludes, of course, Martin and Phil and myself, but um, 110. So that's. Pretty good for 100 podcasts, I think. And, um,
2: well, funnily enough, I counted it up yesterday. I counted it up yesterday, and we're now at 117, 67 mm. of which have been female, and 50 have been male. So that's hopefully readdressed the gender balance because we're all male. Yeah. So we're all male. That's right. We are conscious of that. Um,
1: yeah. So that's, um, got a guests on there. So we're really thankful to mm. all the guests that we've, um, That we've had on. And I think, and at that time, there's probably only been, I think I've had one person decline an invitation onto the podcast. I don't know how you two have gone with um, invitations sent out. I've had,
2: uh, I think, two. Uh, and generally, due to pressure of work, uh, yeah, yeah. That's the, uh, not, not for occasionally, I've got to run it past my organisation. I need a list of questions, and anybody who's listened to the podcast knows we never have a list of questions. <laughs> <laughs> we're really, we're really not that organised. We just, we just let somebody start talking about their work and then bang in with the questions. Really, it's about yeah. as organised as today's is really. Yeah, that's right.
0: No, no, I don't think I've had any rejections as such either. So we're very. Re-acknowledge the cooperation of everybody who have contacted. It's been fantastic. That's what makes it. Yeah.
1: And look, you know, when we started this out, I didn't think, I didn't know what to think, but I didn't think we'd get our hundred podcasts, let alone the interest. So, almost sixty thousand downloads. How many countries have we got, Martin?
2: One hundred and thirty now. Well, quite, quite a few of them are only one, so I was just thinking yeah. somebody's they heard it been, once and gave up, yeah. So, yeah, well, that's right. Somebody's gone from, from called in from Aruba and gone, Whoa, these guys are nuts, I'm not bothering with that one again. But, and that uh, wasn't but, you but, traveling yeah. around the world, was it? Martin? No, no, it wasn't, it wasn't, that's right. He's got a VPN yeah. and just
1: downloads them from different countries to make it look. I in. mean,
2: but it, I mean, it, it's impressive, really, because you know, we speak. It bad English, basically, because uh, <laughs> we talk very fast. And yeah. yet we've got people from 130 countries who have listened to at least some, and in some cases, quite a lot of our podcasts. So that's, um, mm. you know, considering we have that potential language barrier, I think pretty yeah. good.
1: So that's the big news. If you want to get involved, please get onto the InfectionControlMatters website, and you can subscribe there, and then you won't miss anything. And it'll hopefully, it'll be a bit easier for you just to receive that email when a podcast is released. And it has a bit of a summary in the email, so you better just delete it if you're not interested, or, or you know, listen to
2: it if you if you might be interested in it. Um, can we just think of some other topics we haven't covered then? Because we I, you know, with the exception of the live one from a sipsy last year, we haven't really done much about infection prevention outside hospitals. Certainly in aged care, mm. in, in nursing care homes uh, around the world. So that yeah. would be something we ought to really think about because you know uh, there's certainly a move in the UK to move healthcare outside of acute hospitals. They're talking about virtual wards, that sort of thing. Uh, so that that will be quite interesting. And, I, and I you know, we've, mm. we've only had the one, I think, on whole genome sequencing. And that is really, you know, a focused effort in one organization. And I wouldn't mind mm. exploring where that's going to take us in the future because I come from an era where you wait days to get a specimen result from the lab or in the case of norovirus when I started, six weeks till somebody stared at enough poo down the electron microscope to tell me I had an outbreak six weeks ago. So this is going to be <laughs> a game changer, really, isn't it? Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah, that's right. We probably only had a couple on, on whole genome sequence. So yeah, that would be good. And I agree about aged care. Uh we haven't really touched on that. And scopes, we haven't really done a lot on scopes, endoscopes mm-hmm. and um and various other other types of scopes and risks related to those. We haven't really gone down the sterilization route much either. Uh, admittedly that's probably a little bit trickier and um to to go down, but uh probably another area that we we haven't looked much.
2: Um, yeah,
0: I, I had um, something that, you know, aged care is, uh, I mean, we're going to reflect what's what's hot and what's what's in the journals, um, mm. what, where the grant money's going to, isn't it, aren't we? So um, I can see a lot of effort being put into the aged care, and I think that's a really big area that we, we probably actually need to get a bit more into. I'd be really fascinated to you know, what we've learned over the past couple of years of what does the aged care facility of the future look like because we mm. still need to make sure that it's a home um, because mm. they're residents uh, not and not a healthcare facility as such. And so uh, what, what, uh, knowing what we do know with the recent mm. pandemic, uh, how would the new aged care facility look like? So th- there's mm. a few topics that I've thought would be curious to explore this year.
1: Mm. Mm. In fact, just touching on that even more, Phil, the design element—we've alluded to things like air, but we haven't really gone down some of the design elements of healthcare facilities to minimise infection risk that much. Apart from the air side, um, we've, we've gone probably explored that a bit, but lots of other things related to that we haven't touched on. What about you, man?
2: Yeah. I'm- Oh, I'm, thinking, I'm thinking surveillance to be honest we haven't really covered that in any great depth either talking about surveillance methods I mean actually the one we did a couple of weeks ago um, with Judith Tanner and uh, Melissa Rochon is actually our third most popular podcast and that was only out a couple of weeks ago and that's had over 800 listens, you know, and mm. so people are interested in that aspect of actually detecting surgical site infection and, and actually what we can do about it and there's certain aspects of that we never really go near uh, we haven't mm. discussed it, you know, with a surgeon, for example. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which would be a good thing to discuss. Uh, Chuck
0: Edmiston, I did have a chat to chat to Chuck Edmiston about yes, that. That's uh, been but one not, of the most not, popular ones, not, not about yeah. surveillance, but I, I really yeah. like the one with um, Melissa and Judith. I, I'm, it's probably re- is a reflection of my brain, but I like simple things, and I think that's a really simple. Um, activity that they've implemented and had good results. Mm. Um mm-hmm. yeah, I I think surveillance I think the surveillance that we know today is going to be dramatically different in three, four, five years time.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, and we need to think about smarter ways of doing surveillance. And I think in the Netherlands with Mikey Van Murick, et cetera, are already doing that and we need
2: to learn from them. Yeah. yeah. I mean I mean to to actually how much we can automate surveillance to actually keep pointing us in the right direction because it won't be as perfect as a properly organised point prevalence survey but if you've got some automated surveillance kicking up in the background which says, okay, this is somebody you ought to have a look at, that, that really might help. But but it would depend on whether or not, of course, you've got a computer system that collects those data. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we, some of us use ICnet in the UK but you've then got to buy the interface for all the other hospital systems that might have the information you need and it's, it starts to stack up. So then we've, then we're into um, economic arguments, and actually that's a topic we've not really covered. Um, yeah. you know, the the cost-effectiveness of healthcare-associated infection and how you make a business case out so that when you're arguing with your finance director, I want to invest some money in this, and it's going to take you this long to get the return on your investment. Sometimes we don't actually have much data to, to base that on, but you know, that's a topic we haven't really covered in, in any great depth, mm-hmm. really. Return on investment and, and how we argue for the resource we think we need.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. The other um, thing that sprung to mind, and it's just sprung back out of my mind. <laughs> oh, yeah, it happens all the time. Oh, <laughs> i tell you what. Uh, uh, oh, yeah, that was it. It was, um, we haven't, you know, I saw something at ECMED, I think, coming up in a week or so, where they talked about there's a session on upcoming research. So, research that's basically in the pipeline. What have people got going on? And um, that would be really interesting to hear because often we don't hear about research until the findings are out there. Mm. And by that stage, people go, I wish I'd known about that because I was thinking about it that's something in my own organisation or I wish I'd known about that because I could have joined or been part of that because we've got a real interest in that. And um, I'd be interested to see how that session goes at ECMED and I wonder whether... You know, from sporadic time to time, we should have a bit of a call out to people who are doing, it doesn't necessarily have to be research, but even quality improvement activities within mm-hmm. their hospital that they think they might like to collaborate on with. And this might be an opportunity to go to hear what the people are doing in that space and see if there's others that have either done it or
2: uh, or want to share their experience or, or be part of it. And particularly if they've got a good implementation strategy for actually trying to put something in place. Uh, mm. I'd, I'd be keen to have a, have a chat about that because that's another topic we haven't really covered in enormous depth. I mean, we, we briefly mentioned it with David Weber when we were talking about his integrated infection prevention team. But actually, mm. where does implementation science come in? And, you know, because I've, I've sat at conferences and I've learned a bit about implementation, but I'm not somebody who has a doctorate in it. That's for sure. And so maybe you know, the number of times I thought I've implemented something and it turns out six weeks later, I haven't. <laughs> 'cause I'd probably mm. implemented it really badly. That mm. I think would be an interesting topic to cover. You haven't gone near that one.
1: No, and the hot topic at the discussion at the moment is a Sudoku trial um for the selective uh, digestive decontamination, I think it was published in JAMA or uh, very quite recently. It showed some interesting results in respect to reduced reduced mortality and there's a bit of discussion, lots of discussion about that at the moment. And the key, of well, the key other discussion points is, does that sort of thing pose a risk in terms of antimicrobial resistance? And uh, uh, it'd be probably interesting to get some people on from some, perhaps the seductive trial to talk about what they did and what, how they tried to explore that issue of antimicrobial resistance.
2: Uh, yeah, it's a controversial issue, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Well, do you want to
0: elaborate a bit more on that, Brett? and what the controversy is? Um, well, I think there's some discussion about the,
1: the endpoint of, it, of uh, mortality and whether it makes a significant difference or not, I th- and that's a real methodological debate um, and statistical debate that's going on. Um, I won't go an into and that because it'll probably bore people to tears at the moment. But um, the other the other side is giving people this sort of cocktail of antimicrobials uh, to reduce things like bloodstream infections and, and colonization of pathogens to subsequently reduce infection in, in ICU, um, whether that has some inadvertent effects of causing or contributing to antimicrobial resistance. Mm-hmm. And that's that's one of the things that is being discussed actively in relation to that trial at the moment. So, um, yeah, anyway, that's... Uh,
2: that, that practice has been going on in the Netherlands for years, though, isn't it? You know, it's it's taking non-systemically absorbed antibiotics plus a mouth paste, as I recall. Mm, that's um, right. To mouth try and reduce mm. oropharyngeal or um, colonization. Um, so, mm. And you would think you would start to see changes in the sensitivity of organisms in that area. And I'm not sure mm. I've seen any reports that show that. But, you know, we're often no, no, scared no. of things we don't know about especially that's if, they, right. if they instinctively feel like, uh, oh, actually, that's going to do damage. You know, like Many people feel that you shouldn't be using disinfectants because we'll, we're going to increase antibiotic resistance, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. And mm-hmm. I'm not sure the data has borne that up, but it's it's a natural fear that people might have to, because you don't want to make things worse. And uh, that's right. I, I, I get that.
1: Mm. Uh, the other thing that I was sort of springing to mind in the lead-up to this podcast was um, on a related topic to that, actually, and that is sort of that decontamination issue. We haven't really just gone into too much detail about any of our podcasts in terms of, you know, clexitine bathing or um, decolonization approaches to reduce the risk of, of subsequent bloodstream infection in various settings. I think um, I think Susan Huang's doing a, a lecture at the IPS conference in yep. uh, November, October? October?
2: O- October, um, October,
1: yeah. Yeah, so, um, you know, I think that's something we haven't really we covered
0: much either on the podcast
2: Phil, what is on
0: your list? One of the things I had on my list was what makes what type of skill mix makes the best IPC team, and I thought of this because of the chat with David uh, Weber and his large multidisciplinary team. But just interesting, there was a an advertisement um, recently, you know, for uh, the manager of an IPC program at a uh, large hospital. And the person didn't necessarily need to have nursing qualifications.
2: Um, oh, and we ha- that's common over here in the UK. Okay. That's common. Okay. Well, John, John Otter heads up the IPC team at, okay. uh, okay. at Guys and Thomas's, which is the, one of the biggest teaching hospitals. Mark Garvey at Birmingham is a c- clinical scientist. He heads up um, University Hospital Birmingham. Lane Cloutman green heads it up at um, Great Ormond Street, where she's actually the infection control doctor as well, and yet she's not a, a medic. -hmm. So uh, that's that's not uncommon, I don't think, and there's there's a a, there's a number of people working in that area. So, I think that setup
0: is quite unusual in Australia. I would suggest that most Mm. heads are are nurses. They might have a medical lead um, as a co lead of the program, Uh, but uh, this was the first time I'd seen an ad. First
2: time I'd seen an ad for a non nurse. That's that's a good thing though. I think you know. I mean, over here we have IPC teams who've got operating department practitioners, which I don't think is a role you have in the in Australia. Uh, You know, Mm -hmm. in the operating theatre now, you don't train to be a nurse and then go into theatre. You train as an operating department practitioner, where you do a degree in operating department practice. Uh, my daughter's one and you know because you then can focus on that for three years and she does cardiac anaesthetics at the moment and and so we have teams with ODPs in them and also dental nurses in them so Mm. they've gone from non-traditional backgrounds apart from clinical sciences etc so Mm. that would be I I think that's I think that's good uh, actually it'd be interesting to see who applies you know what sort of background they come from fascinating Mm.
0: yeah
1: thinking about the most listen to podcasts. What what are some of the topics, um, that uh have been more popular than others, would you say? And now and now we've got a hundred on the bank.
2: Yeah, air's right up there. I mean the ones mm-hmm. that, that series we did on air, um, there's a couple of those in our top uh our top mm-hmm. ten. But interestingly, just discussions with people. We you know we had a chat you and I uh, at um RPS conference with uh, Jean Yves Maillard uh, and Annette mm-hmm. Jeans. Just talking about her work in the film industry during COVID, and also his work on biofilm, and that's that's right up there. I mean, uh, the surgical site infection and the imaging, you know, the simple practical Mm. one that Phil mentioned, that's that's right up there as well. So, yeah, and and actually, just a chat we had with John Otter about his glove or no glove um, one. Mm. Uh, Mm. Also interesting is are we experts? One's right up there as well. Do you know what I would
1: find? Uh, if there are people out there who've got these sort of IPC roles in, in obscure areas, it'd be great to have a chat. You know, the film industry was a fascinating one to hear about and there's, mm. there's um, there'll be, some am sure, plenty of others out there. So it'd be interesting to hear what, just how diverse, how diverse we are. Yeah, um-
2: if you know somebody working in a, in a slightly left field area and then get in touch with us via mm. the new website uh, and uh, <laughs> we'll have you on to have a chat because it's because it, it, actually people working in those areas. Annette was very good about saying about how she would go to someone, and say, tell me what you need to do and then I will help make that safer for you during this period rather than mm. us turning up and saying that's what you need to do. You know, it was all about actually. Tell me what you have to do, and then I will make it easier for you. And I actually, thought, I thought that was a lesson learned for working in in a hospital. Yeah. To be honest, if there's an IPC consultant for the uh, Ashes series
0: in uh, the Northern Summer, uh, I'd be very happy to chat to them and, uh, and see how they how they do it. Uh, actually, and that has
2: gone into sports teams in the past. She's been contracted to sports teams to go and um, stop them getting things like norovirus and talk to them about mm. not picking up communicable diseases from their kids and, you know, colds and flu from their kids when they're starting nursery and that sort of stuff. So, um, you know, mm. people have been contracted in those sort of areas.
0: Mm. Uh, I've got a question. Just, just going back to the IPC paradigms of contact and droplet airborne precautions that we did do that series, mm. uh, do you think that had much impact? Do, do we need to take it anywhere else, or take it further, or explore it further? Because it, it sort of be it would be a shame to leave it sort of mm-hmm. sitting there, not. Yeah, yeah, I, I, mean, I guess. I,
2: I actually, yeah, I, I think all we can do is air the debate, isn't it, uh, and hope that when people write their next set of national guidelines, then they would start to consider that. And I I'd certainly have the feeling that CDC are going to be looking at transmission-based precautions and change things about Yes,
1: yeah, so I saw a um, meeting note <clears throat> from the CDC for the review of the transmission-based precautions guideline. I can't remember the exact term, but the one that's from 2009. And there were some notes that came out the other day about what they have been discussing. And uh, you can actually see them on the CDC website and see some mm. of the discussion points. Um, <clears throat> there's certainly a trend to move to respiratory-based precautions as as a term. That looks like that's got some traction at the moment in discussions. Reading right between I like the, the transparency lines there,
2: of that. that's very nice. It's, yeah. it's nice that at a national level they're being transparent with what they're discussing. I, I like that.
1: Yeah. The other interesting thing was there was discussion about making sure they need to understand the sort of implementation aspects, so how is something practical um, and implementable and uh, tolerated and acceptable and all those um, types of things as well. So I think that's that's refreshing to see as well. And I, I think that whilst the GRADE approach to developing guidelines has got some advantages, that's where some of the challenges I think have laid. We're trying to come up with infection control guidelines where there hasn't been that, you know, the RCTs because they can't do them or not ethical to do them, and so I think that that's um, that's interesting that that's coming up. I think, yeah,
2: yeah. Do, do you know the frustration is though, brother? You do an RCT and nothing changes. So you did your one on Corti, mm. and and yeah. what's changed?
1: <laughs> yeah, look, I think there are. Look, they do say that things take about seven years on average to get implemented once they're published if they're worth worth their weight, but. Um, mm. Um, there have been some changes uh, to national guidelines in Australia, so there is um, yeah a little update to that to consider the use of antiseptics such as chlorhexidine prior to catheter insertion. So I think those things can happen, but really so. that go- yeah. that goes back to the need for us. And I've, you know, I've been saying this for years that we need to have a much more global approach to the evidence base around IPC. We're trying to all individually develop guidelines in local countries. And context is important, right? So context I'm not talking about here. I'm just talking about doing the hard work of the methodological review of evidence and coming up with this quality of evidence that might underpin any piece of thing that we do. Now, mm. that that's not about whether the, the, the recommendation that comes in individual companies, countries and states or jurisdictions, clearly that's local context and locally based, and I would encourage that. But... Um, you know, otherwise what we end up with is all these countries coming out with guidelines around the world that they try and find funding for every few years. Then the funding's not there when they need to update them. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, we're seeing it with, with EPIC guidelines in the UK, uh, for example. Mm-hmm. I don't know when mm-hmm. last time they were updated. So CDC guidelines, you know, from 2019, 2013, so 2009, 2013, you know, HICPAC guidelines that are 10 years ago. Um, Um, More than that, in many cases. I
2: mean, actually, your paper, your yours and Phil's paper, looking at the you know the strength of evidence in the guidelines was an eye opener for me, really. And that didn't include some guidelines that were actually current that were before the time you looked.
1: Yeah. (laughs) So I think you know we we could easily try and do this at a much more global level, uh, and have it more frequent, so that so that the evidence as it's not necessarily emerging that would be ideal. But even if it was every six or twelve months, some of these things are updated. it would make it easier for local governments and health organisations, trusts, boards, whatever to to look at that and go, This is what we need to do now. Um, mm. And,
0: and, and still be able to base that locally. So, I, I think what, what you're saying, Brett, is really that the implementation is harder than the actual study, the actual research that, <laughs> that, that, uh, yeah. that, that identified the intervention that needs to be implemented. I think that's... Uh, we come from a country with six states and two territories and they never agree. <laughs> so it's really <laughs> hard to get that uniformity um, of implementation on, on, yeah. on policy and practice. It's a, It's a hard, hard... And maybe that's something that we need to explore ourselves and that could be, you know, the qualitative aspect, that implementation science, which Mm. is becoming increasingly important in infection prevention research, I think.
1: Look, I've I've been saying this for years, but, you know, we try and look at this black and white approach to things and it's never black and white. I mean, you know, I've talked about shades of grey and I think Elaine's talked about that in the past in one of her podcasts as well. But um, it's not that. And so we... That doesn't mean we shouldn't have evidence-based guidelines or the evidence summarised and evidence summaries, but I think we need to be able to have the ability to tailor what that means locally for individual epidemiology, for individual context, for different cultures and different organisations, different resources that people have got, Um, and not necessarily have a blanket approach, but still be able to provide people what is the latest evidence, and you can interpret that to your needs. I think that's the key that's... And both of those things are missing right now in my mind across the world.
2: Mm. Part of the problem is if you get the killer new study that says this makes a big difference and your national infection control manual or your national guidelines says we haven't got the evidence and that's not going to be updated for five years, it becomes quite challenging for people sometimes to say okay we're going to adopt this new practice even though yeah. it isn't the national guideline especially if somebody's coming up and like to say are you following the national guideline yeah. well the national guideline may be out of date so you you've got to be pretty ballsy really to be able to stand there and say mm-hmm. we're going to, not going to follow that because we're convinced by this new evidence and we can't afford yeah. to wait and I, there was a paper that uh, showed the effect of waiting to implement something you know, for, for something like, I think it was something like CLABSI. And a nine month delay in implementing the, the correct bundle because it got stuck in the hospital system cost them hundreds of thousands of dollars in extra mm. infections rather than saying, mm. this is really what we need to do. We all know we need to do this. We're going to start this now. And I think that was an interesting aspect as well. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, boys, we rabbited on, do you think?
1: We have I think we probably talked enough about not much.
2: Yeah. <laughs> well that was just you, Brett. <laughs> yeah, that was, yeah. yeah, that's yeah. right. take up enough airtime. Yeah. 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 I mean, do you want to mention yeah. the new website, by the way? I don't think. Oh have got one?
1: Look, I think I think the other thing with that is the um, okay. reason for the website is you know, Twitter algorithms are getting a little bit um, oh, mixed oh, yeah. and uh, we know this, this this sort of podcast goes out in different forums, but um, we're trying to diversify that uh, a little bit as well. So, um, mm. trying to cater for everyone's tastes.
0: So, just uh, the, the summary that this is the 100th episode, what was the time frame? Did we mention oh, the time yeah. frame? 100 episodes in.
2: Yeah, what? We, we no, did this uh, 2021, didn't we? When was the first yeah, we started. Yeah, we started. Hang on, can you can tell, you tell you how well
0: organised we are. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, 29th of March 2021 was our first uh, day. Uh, our and we had our eight, first podcast was... Yeah, yeah. Eight just, people <laughs> was, uh, downloaded on that day. Just after <laughs> I turned
0: 32. That's yeah.
2: good
1: so, um. <laughs> And I think our first podcast, just to put it out there was on COVID myths after our
2: introduction. Oh, uh, yeah, oh yeah, that's right, yeah. COVID yeah. myths was our first our first true one, and that came out uh, about a week later, I think. Yeah.
0: Ooh, yeah. Do we uh, dare, dare listen to that one again? Oh, that's act- that was actually a good one.
1: And, and I think that it was, was a good Steffi one. That's, Denta, that's and that, that one of a popular of, ones.
2: Yeah, and, and debunked a
1: lot of myths at the time that were around... Yeah. It's still our fourth most popular. Mm.
2: It's still our fourth most popular, and it stands up very, very well. In fact, it's Stephanie tell me, telling me I was wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so, and okay, fair enough. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. but, oh, but no, no, that's me. been one of our most popular. Yeah. Well, yeah.
1: we're all wrong, and we've got to admit yeah, to Yeah, we're all wrong. wrong. Yeah, is, I don't mind being you know, wrong. It's the only way to get better. Yeah. I'd rather um, be wrong
2: and learn. I'd rather be wrong and learn, Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah.
1: Now, the other thing, Phil, you made a good point about how long we've been going for, Um but, you know, moving forward, last year we were trying to pump these things out almost every week. And we're not going to put a time frame on how often we're going to continue to do this. But we're sort of aiming for fortnightly. And um, there might be times where that's occasionally less. There might be times where that's more frequent, particularly when Martin's jet-setting the world. And, yes, um, go, go to conferences. Go to conferences yes. everywhere. Yes. Pulling people um, up in
0: the corridors,
1: yeah. Mm. So we might have some more frequent ones during during certain periods of time. But it's you know we're, we're, we we sort of do this when we can, and we're also at the whim of the, all our guests that give up their time to be on on the show too.
2: So I just call I think it a show. Yeah, well, no, I don't know. It's <laughs> exposition. I don't know. I, yeah, I mean, yeah, we, I mean, we have a period where we don't do very much, you know, during your yeah. summer, uh, Christmas time, yeah. that sort of stuff. Uh, but you know, if topics came along and we had the time and we would fit them in. But yeah, you're right. We don't want to commit to a particular time frame, but it, it'll be uh, pretty pretty much two weekly at at mm-hmm. most. I would think. Depends on yeah. how many we've got in the can, if it as it were.
0: If people go to the website and subscribe, they'll be told straight away when the new one's out. Is that correct? Yeah.
2: Exactly. They They won't miss a thing. Because our only comms method really has been Twitter and, uh, you know, and uh, organisations like uh, ASIPC and IPS kindly putting it in their newsletters to let people know, which explains why the majority of our listeners, well, the the biggest group are from Australia and the UK. So... Mm. We, don't, we don't actively public, publicise, really, apart to from Twitter. I'm a little bit mm. of suspicion about the utility of Twitter uh, moving forward,
0: so uh, this is a much better mm. option. It's
1: getting a little bit worse. Mm. All right. Well, as always, lovely chatting, Phil and Martin. Yep.
2: yep. Yeah. <laughs> You've given me plenty of challenges with editing, so for that I thank you. Oh,
1: yes. Yeah, so look, and thanks, Martin, for your <laughs> editing abilities. We do. I have been doing a bit of typing in this one just to throw it in the
2: mix. For yeah, you no, I later. like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Edit those things out. Yeah, um, yeah look, thanks, Phil. Thanks, Martin. And thanks, everyone, for continuing to support and listen to us. Um, and, and we are, as I say, we're generally interested in the feedback. So please, in all seriousness, do shout us some comments through via the website. Um, we'd love to know what you like and don't like and what you want to hear. All right. That's it from us on this latest issue episode of Infection Control Matters. And uh, we'll speak to you again soon. And we'll do another one of these when we get to. Um, 200.